Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. During the 2018 ALA Annual Conference in New Orleans, I sat down with author and Hall of Fame children's literature blogger Cynthia Leidick-Smith. We talked about her latest novel, Hearts Unbroken, which originated from a real-life experience. Cynthia will elaborate in just a second. This episode is part of our Unraveler series. In each episode, a book creator will take you inside one of their books. Their inspiration, fears, frustrations, epiphanies, the whole thing pulled apart. It's time to unravel Hearts Unbroken. Hearts Unbroken is the story of two student journalists, and they're covering the controversy around the diverse and inclusive casting of their high school musical. So we have a new theater teacher, and she wants to shake things up. She is opening up roles to indigenous kids and kids of color that might not have been originally envisioned for young actors who look like them. And not everyone is happy about it. It's also a bit of a love story about those same two teen journalists. She is a Muskogee Creek girl, and he's an Arab-American, Lebanese-American boy. And they're teenagers. They're trying to figure out themselves, each other, and their new relationship in a world that often doesn't make sense to most of us much of the time. Hearts Unbroken was originally envisioned as a novel-length apology to my high school boyfriend. It is very, very loosely based on our experience. I am a Muskogee Creek um, author, and he, well, now I guess he's a grown man, but he was a Lebanese-American boy, and we were both student journalists. He was, in real life, a photojournalist. In fact, grew up to be very successful and um, significant photojournalist and news videographer and I was the editor of my high school newspaper and grew up to become an author so there are roots of our real-life experience in the book. It's an ambitious novel. I, I don't know that I could have written this novel say five years ago and I, I don't know that it would be published then. So, for me, I was kind of looking for a full range of humanity. I mean, this is a book that has some tough moments. You know, it's really thematically centered on speech, uh, journalistic, artistic, religious, interpersonal, political, and hate speech. And when we go to hate speech, we go to some tough places. But it also has joy and laughter and warm family fuzzies and friendship and really good kissing. And so, you know, to make all of that work within the same narrative structure, you have to sort of let your protagonist breathe through it. But that's really, I mean, adolescence is, if nothing else, a cacophony of emotions, right? High highs and low lows. And that is really daily life for every teen. I was a little worried about what my mother would think. <laughs> well, the danger of anything that is loosely based on one's own adolescence is that it might reveal certain aspects um, that perhaps one didn't bring up when one was in fact an adolescent. So um, I, I, w I did have that in my head a little bit and I have warned her that she may just have to skip a chapter or two. 
And also I have emphasized that not everything in the book happened in real life. There, we have things in common with the characters. They are not actually us. My mother is my biggest fan. She absolutely stalks me on social media. I have to be very aware of that audience at all times. No, she's great. She is just a fabulous cheerleader. She was um, really the person who got me into reading. My mother took me to the public library every Saturday morning when I was a little tiny girl. And I just kept going. I'm very fortunate in that I'm in, uh, I'm based in Austin, Texas, which has a thriving writing community, and very often people will come over and write with me. They may not be working on the same project, but they are working on a project, and we can certainly bounce ideas off one another. And I have a number of writing colleagues through my teaching at Vermont College of Fine Arts who I can bounce ideas off of. So I would say that while intrinsically the act of writing can be solitary in practice, in my life, it feels full of storytellers. It took longer than most of my books, so that was, uh, I think it took two or three times long, and I think it was just, it was a more complex, more ambitious story. I had to really think through a lot of different layers of questions. So for me, a typical writing day, because I'm someone who's very active in the conversation of books, is very often I'll wake up, I will, um, post my blog and check in on the conversations on social media and that might take me an hour or two. I have two interns and a number of writers that I'm mentoring plus my graduate students. So that's another layer. In addition to putting on the author hat and making sure that things are okay with event planners and contracts and media and all of that element pulling together. Um, but generally I'm able to write at the very least between say 11 and five, take another break, check in on everything. And then if I'm not traveling, touring, et cetera, obviously this is just a regular day at home, I might do another two to four hours in the evening. After dinner, yeah. I used to only rough draft between midnight and 4 a.m. because that's when the world would go away and sleep and leave me alone. <laughs> but um, now I, I, I treasure my regular sleep and my event schedule doesn't allow me to have such radical shifts in my schedule. The book did sell on proposal. So I had the theoretical security that there was a contract involved. I also had a very theoretical deadline which was pushed back um, graciously with much love to my editor. So. I had a firm vision. I was working with the same publisher and I had done nine books in a fantastical world. So for them, this was a departure from my other young adult work. But earlier in my career, I had done realistic contemporary Native American children's books. So for people who had followed that conversation, it seemed like more of a returning home to my roots. But I really do think of myself as someone who writes across age markets, formats, and genres. I've done realistic contemporary, I've done fantasy, I have some poetry coming in various picture books, so I have either great range or no focus whatsoever. That's fun, right? That's it's, it's, it's hugely fun, and it builds transferable skills. You know, if you look at the short story alone, you know, it can teach you to look at the entire arc pretty much in the palm of your hand. Picture books and poetry teach you an economy of language that really does help in the novel. So you, you learn to set aside that sort of um, self-indulgence or 
telling yourself that you have more time or that the reader has more patience than they might actually have. way. Early on, as I mentioned, I had done some contemporary realistic book for younger kids, and those were all Native American in theme. At that time, there was very much a sense that I did work of that sort, that I was doing literary, um, education, market-friendly, etc., so on and so forth. And not long after the last of those three books came out, there was a really strong retraction in the market away from what was then deemed the multicultural movement. I had folks that I respected who knew it was going on publishing say things like, well, you're never going to publish another book unless Kevin Costner makes a new movie. Uh, multiculturalism is dead. We tried it. It didn't work. All of this was a big challenge. And so I needed to come at the conversation from a slant. My native contemporary fiction survived in short stories and anthologies. People were willing to take a risk on that as part of a larger narrative, and it kept some representation out there. And so I branched into fantasy, which gave me an opportunity through metaphor to include some social justice themes, to feature uh, diverse characters without that being the primary focus. And so it was kind of a subversive way of doing a lot of the same things, but also having a lot of fun um, and stretching in new directions building skills that I was able to bring back then when I had a chance to reopen the conversation on realism grounds. A lot of people put a lot of work into it over many years. Thank you, Cynthia Leidick-Smith, for the interview. Thank you, Philip Stead, for our theme music. Have an idea for the show? You can contact us via email at theyarnpodcast@gmail.com and visit us online at the School Library Journal website. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening.